Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Box Office Bootleg. I'm your co-host, Robert. I'm your co-host, Reggie. Welcome, everybody. Absolutely. We're at that uh, good old number 11. As uh, we said last time, we're in the double digits. We're a little ways from syndication. Uh, The old school rule of thumb is to 60 episodes, so... We still got a little ways to go. Uh, Reg, yeah. what channel were you hoping that we're syndicated on? I'm just hoping that, uh, hmm, networks or cable? Uh, either or. Either or? Hmm. I'm going to say... I would, I would go with NBC because NBC has a history with radio. You know what? I'm going to go with, they're going to relaunch UPN to go for that super, oh. super niche, that extremely niche kind of old school, mid-90s audience, <laughs> right? And yeah. they might use us as one of the new content and everything. We're between rerun so, episodes of Martin and the Jamie Foxx show would be animated segments from our podcast. Oh, What do you think, Rich? Do you think that we're worthy enough to stand alongside... Reruns of Martin and the Jamie Foxx show. I think I'll stick to Fox. If you say so. So I mean, at least Fox is respectable. I mean, like they, they. I mean, like if you, if we, play, if they play us before reruns of In Living Color. Well, In Living Color that hasn't been like absolutely butchered because nobody that produced that show had the hindsight to think, hey, we should probably make sure that we have the rights to the music segments. Especially if we're going to incorporate it in the episodes as much as we do, you know, so we don't end up completely butchering our syndicated shows. You know, we would have enough hindsight to do that, Rich. Right? I mean, like, I mean, if you go to uh, Saturday Night Live on Hulu, like, there's some shows where they had to cut out the musical acts. That's true. That's true. Except Saturday Night Live would still make sure to retain most of those because... NBC being owned by Universal. Universal, of course, has Universal Music Records, so yeah. it's like they can, of course, be able to have that. I kind mean, of they're, they're, they're one third again. They're they're either one third or one half of the music industry. No, they're one third. So unless they want to play nice with Sony and Sony and Warner, absolutely. So before we get into giant, terrifying conglomerates of pop culture and our consumption of anything that ignites our senses. Um, Initially, we were appointed to do a box office preview, and we're still going to do that episode. However, there's been a number of things that we just want to go over ahead of time, so this is just going to be a more casual, introspective kind of episode. So uh, we got some movies to talk about, we got some acquisitions to talk about, and we have just some kind of ominous things about the industry to talk about so uh let's dive right into it so right. uh the first two big movies the only two major releases to come out these past two weekends before the five major film releases oh, no. that we have this oh no weekend. before dora it's like before dora it overtakes the box office we have uh, they take they, they'll overtake the box office by do store you think number wise actually because like okay I was a little overzealous. I was joking. I I was overzealous with my box office prediction for Hobson Shaw. Hobson Shaw ended up opening Mm -hmm. to about 60, 61 million. Did well overseas. So it's lower than, of course, the flagship Fast and Furious franchise. But 
people kind of anticipated that. And 61 million is still a pretty healthy opener, especially with how this box office season has been for most movies I mean, recently. So I mean, like, do you think do you think Dora might actually end up being number one? Because if if Hobson Shaw falls about 55-60%, it'd be at about 25 million. And I think last time we talked we were thinking Dora might be able to squeeze past 25. So do you think Dora the Explorer might end up with the number one? Or do you think Hobbs and Shaw might repeat? I think Hobbs and Shaw may have enough, may have enough to like to like to remain at number one. But so you're saying enough for it to kind of like sneak past sneak past. I mean, okay. unless if it drops like. Because most of the films that uh, I mean, like most, like most of the films this year has been like around fifty percent, mm-hmm. um, except for you know a couple of big ones, like a couple of big ones, like Avengers, like like, like I said, like Avengers Endgame. I think it was like sixty. Was it sixty or was it? I think it was fifty eight percent. But but was, Endgame, but, but, Endgame but it was like is a, an extraordinary but, but you're about like sixty like sixty percent of three hundred million. That's like three hundred and fifty. Million three hundred so three hundred fifty million. That's like there is only so yes. much room you can have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah so, it'll be interesting to see where if Universal gives a little love to it and everything. So and of course, um, uh, what you call it? Uh, once upon a time, like Paramount is a hit. Once upon a time in Hollywood, of course, is doing really well for itself. Yeah. Um, it's already outpacing Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Um, even with its long running time, respectively. So, uh, yeah. There is a rumor that uh, the per- oh, he probably did the same treatment as... With the hateful... <laughs> hey, with, uh, with the four-hour cut on Netflix. Oh, yeah. He said that he had, like, 30 minutes on top of it, too. So. But, um, but, again, I think it's all the Sharon Tate scenes. And my thing is, if, if it's enough to expand your character and make her, like, a significant... Like, give her a significant time, uh, like, time other than... Like, her sitting in the movie theater watching herself. Except that, that imagine if all the extra scenes that Tarantino actually has is just is like re- no, <laughs> it's just thirty more minutes of Brad Pitt just driving around in nineteen sixties Hollywood, which to me, actually, I really dug. So let's get into I mean, what sh- we thought. I mean, like, when let's you, get into what we thought about the is Robert Richards saying, "Who gives?" I mean, like, like, like a Academy Award winning uh, cinematographer and fine. Yeah. Reg, what did you think about the movie? I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, okay. The, yeah, like like I said, um, like this, like you know, I watched like a lot. Of, I I haven't seen that many as many westerns as, as Quentin Tarantino, but like knowing my dad growing up watching westerns and like knowing the type of shows and like films that he would watch, it's like I understand where he's coming from with like you know, with the two like with the uh, the two characters. Right. Uh, my only gripe, my only gripe is like you know, like being like you know, being a little bit long, where like Sharon Tate, I like I didn't really get that much out of her, and and when you just like you know, she can simply be removed, like just a mere mention of her, you know what, like you know what era in history you're you know, you're in, like when you mention Sharon Tate and like her going to the theater and watching herself uh, in the Wrecking Crew. I really didn't give a shit about Dean Martin like that. It's like that. Then like I was like, out of all the Dean Martin movies, you could have done one with Jerry. Again, it's like if you grew up during that era, like, well, I, like I think the only reason why 
honestly, the only reason why I think that spy comedy like ha- has that legacy is because that was Sharon Tate's last role. I mean, like people know her more from In the Valley of the Dolls before. Well, and that was the joke in the yeah. film where it's just like where she was like, oh, I'm in this movie. And it's like, wait, aren't you from Valley of the Dolls? And she was like, yeah, I was in that, too. You know, so yeah. so I think there's a purpose for seeing the Wrecking Crew where it's like it's obviously not like a quintessential classic, but yeah. it's the juxtaposition about the fact where we're following this actress, this figure that does represent, you know, if the whole premise of the movie, I, right, is I the would... quote unquote death of an era, then, you know, I, I see Quentin's reasoning for literally following the person that literally represented the end of that era, you know, where it's like with, think, with the teen no, murders, with stuff like that, that I, was I, really like the quote-unquote death of the 60s kind of staple. I mean, not I, really, not really. I think, like, I think Rick, had a Rick huge Quinn, impact on what people felt, where it's like, you know, that ended the the glamour of the 60s but again, that ended a yeah, lot of things yeah, about yeah, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. but, but, but what I'm saying is like when you talk about like old Hollywood movies the like Rick like like pretty much like the stuff that he's into it was pretty much for Rick and Cliff because like even with uh, Rick playing in a western that genre was going out the door at that time yeah because I mean like John Wayne like already like around that time like I think John Wayne already started in True Grid which got his Oscars like the year after yeah yeah well but it, it's, like again it, 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 it's, there's a lot of inter- there's a lot of intersect uh, intersections going yeah. on as far as like what genres were on the up what genres were on the down you know where it's like I, I mean the, it, you could even say that like I mean the Wrecking Crew wasn't like a gigantic hit yeah. I mean like it, it would be sillier if, like, she went into the movie theater and it was just, like, filled to the brim where it's just like, oh, wow, this big feature. When, obviously, Tarantino probably understands where it's like, this I, wasn't, like, a blockbuster hit, but I, it was enough to where, like, people, you know, enjoyed it for what it was. I, it was one I mean, of those, like, like I can, I can think of kind more of, spy, I mean, like, people remember in, like, Flint and even the failed uh, uh, Casino Royale. With like Peter's, like when there was like five but James time, Bonds before. But timing wise, in February yeah. 1969, it wouldn't have made sense for Sharon Tate to walk into the theater with the Casino Royale, yeah. with Peter Sellers. So she, of but, course, would be walking into a mov- movie theater where her most yeah, recent film would yeah, be but playing. I mean, like, if you look at her biography, I mean, like, I, I don't know if, it, if there was like a time where. Where she got, like, when she was, like, you know, got pregnant and was expecting that, I think she was about to, uh, I think she was about to quit at that time. Like, quit Hollywood just to raise her kid. Like, and, like, Ron Belaski was still, like, was the up-and-coming director, which, you know, he's, like, pretty much absent from. Right, which which I think, I, I will agree with you where it's, like, and just to finally chip in with yeah. what I thought about the movie, I did really, um, I did enjoy it a lot, too. Um, I felt like it was probably Tarantino's most humorous one but also like his most weirdly like human relatable one as far as an ensemble no. what i mean by that is like this is really the only movie that he's ever done where that's it's like because, it, it's it's that's not because like you're a, rick no what i'm saying is that it's, it's like, not a you, singular it's not a I, singular like I know. somebody trying to get a mcguffin 
somebody uh-huh. trying to get revenge, some singular yeah. motive. Uh, we got to kill Hitler. You know, it, it's nothing like that. Instead, what we're really doing in this movie is just following these different people living their life with like all of the related insecurities and anxiety yeah. about the era, about the stuff like that, where it's like, even though we're talking about main characters, that's, you know, a recognizable TV Hollywood actor or mm. a prolific stunt guy, or of course, Sharon Tate is that ultimately at the end of the day, we're just following people just trying to make sense of this like weird era and environment and, um, with that said, with the Sharon Tate stuff, especially with the elements that you're bringing up, that would be a nice little juxtaposition to it, where it's like, I think that would actually be able to help out a lot where, you know, with Rick Dalton, you're talking about this guy that's like having this like anxiety about like feeling like a has-been, feeling like yeah. he's just the punching bag for the next upcoming, you know, <laughs> leading man yeah. and everything, where it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna be the guy oh beat God. up by everybody. But god damn it, like like the like the scene, like like the whole sequence where he goes to that western, uh, like where's it? He plays like a hippie, like but like yeah. like with the little girl, like she pretty much stole the show, like the. Uh, yeah, where it's just like him, where it's just like him chilling out, and it's just like his his little breakdowns and all that kind, of, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, obviously the production design is absolutely outstanding. I yeah. mean, especially with us living in the city, it's just. It, it, I mean, Tarantino even said he would not have done this movie if he wasn't able to like. Um, he, do he managed to like transform like transform like yeah because like FYI people sunset FYI people th- that part of sunset in Hollywood still pretty much looks like that for better or worse <laughs> yeah well, like a, like um I always I always try to like you know everybody wants to go especially because like you know I'm yeah. getting married next week having a bunch of family coming in and it's like everybody always always wants to go to the Hollywood oh, Walk of Fame and I always like, I always have like, to you like see stars I I got okay here's your stars I gotta curate it I gotta curate it a little bit where it's like okay there's some sketch areas to it I find it endearing. Other people might find it super trashy and scary as hell, but you know what? There's still a lot of great places you can go to. It's just not, it's not going to be your entourage part of Hollywood. It's not going to be the Hills part of Hollywood. It's like, and Tarantino, the kind of guy Tarantino is, he loves that shit. Like, like this is a man who would much rather spend his time in this part of Hollywood, even in 2019, and the fact that, like, he was finally able to do a movie like this yeah. in this part of Hollywood, you know, the central, still kind of sleazy-ish kind of non-gentrified mm-hmm. version of Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard. It's like, if I don't do this film, if I don't do this film now, in two years, I'm not going to be able to do it because you're going to see some high-rise condom, uh, condominium building. You know, on the background, like I'm not going to be able to do this. Uh, well, I mean, like actually, I was like going through. I think it was like Curved LA, like one of those uh, uh, those uh, architectural uh, sites. Like they were, like right now they're fighting. Um, the residents are fighting against um, putting a high rise right by the Capitol building. Um, not just a high rise, red straight up skyscrapers. Like it, it's two yeah. different towers: a 38 story building and a 40 story building. Jesus. That would just completely change like the dynamic of 
that well, area. So well, I guess you can't see the Hollywood sign anymore. So mm, that is the thing. So Tarantino, so Tarantino just took the opportunity. It's like, and you know what? Uh, those were some of the segments that I enjoyed the most, especially because I was able to go to the Cinerama Dome, watched it in 70 millimeter, mm. you know, panorama style, and, you know, just being able to see Brad Pitt ride around on an old school film in this completely revived 1969 kind of Hollywood aesthetic. You know, I, I dug it. I dug it. Um, you know what? I don't even want to talk about the ending. Because the ending the, is so left field. Like that's, I mean, that's. I, I, that, I don't want to bring it up. Well, we're not doing spoilers this uh, time. Okay, all right. You don't want to do spoilers. I'll, all I have to say, that's. Uh, I mean, that's the only. Pr- re- we can't. We can't. I. I uh, it's like give it a month. Like give it a month. We'll go back. Like that's. I mean, that's the reason. Why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I felt part of the movie didn't work because it. Like it. God damn it, dude! I've I've gone I've gone back and forth I've gone back and forth with the ending where it's like it's I, like, it, it, like it's, but, but once it, once it gets going you kind of laugh at it and and like it's just a really like a, like surprise like surprising in a way so I mean what what I think what I'll see, think without getting too much into it is that I think if you mentioned see. Even, no, no, no. Even, even the hints, like even if I try to hit at it, like people already will put two, what two I'll together. Say, what I'll say is that, like, if if the point of the movie is kind of like trying to show about how, you know, Hollywood and films and all that kind of stuff, you know, the the whole reason people try to be in these films, be these like A-list actors, be in this, mm-hmm. you know, industry is that they're trying to create like their own narrative. They're trying to create their own story, you know, where yeah. whatever kind of bullshit that these characters happen to deal with, the fact that they still want to be the A-list actor, they still want to be in this stuff. So I kind of took it as, and this is getting super film theory shit. You can say I'm mm-hmm. being an esoteric ass for pointing it out. But I kind of interpreted it as, you know, you're, you're talking about a pivotal moment where it's kind of like an end of an era. You're talking mm-hmm. about a pivotal moment where it almost feels like this is what the industry was leading to. This is what the culture and the era was leading to. And then just kind of like doing something that is almost more appropriately Hollywood with it. Yeah. And that's why I'll leave it. And I'm back and forth with it. I kind of see what he's going with it. And I kind of dig it, but maybe it it is super jarring is what I'll say. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, it is. Yeah, you're right about being jarring because, like, like even, you know, like, watching it, it's like, it surprises you. Even watching it again, I might just accept it for what it is. Yeah. But, like, from all the hot takes that, like, came out from it... Like I like there was one YouTuber that I came across. Like she did a, a review of it, mm-hmm. and I thought it was like interesting. Where it's like this is his most progressive film because you know you have like you know like now you know you have this whole left like you know this left culture in Hollywood and and like the fact that <laughs> that like you know some of the lines in that movie like even when I was listening to some of the lines in that movie it was kind of like jabs at. You know, at uh, at you know, like 
hippies like, yeah, and stuff like that. Well, no, 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 not at the hippies, but it's like the Hollywood liberals, like actual today. For example, the one, uh, the one where he was like taking uh, taking one of the Manson girls back to back to the ranch, mm-hmm. and he asked him like, "How old are you? How old are you?" It's like, and, uh, you know, and she still want to give him a blowjob. Well, but the thing is. Like, but the thing but that's is, more flower girl kind of criticism where it's like I think I would I wouldn't say that it's transgressive as much as just calling out where it's like you guys have like a beautiful where it's like I'd almost tell like the hippies and baby boomers back then where it's like you had a beautiful opportunity to like actually do something really progressive and transformative with American society except because you were basically just raised on like microwavable food and television you basically took that energy the flower power and the fact that like the most significant thing that the hippie generation was able to see, do was kill a pregnant woman and four of her friends no no, no 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 see like this is the thing because they also cut out the part about the Manson uh, family because like if people keep forgetting Charles Manson was a racist like the whole idea, because again, they skipped over the facts because of the time when Rick and Cliff were in Italy, they were still committing murders that led up to Sharon Tate because Charles Manson wanted to start a race war between the cops Helter, and the black pe- and people. Well, Helter Skelter, yeah. It, but, but, well, but, but, then, but then he wants to emerge as the hero, the, the Jesus, like the savior of this, like this so-called race war. Yeah. So he's, so like him, so he tell his his family to go to these random places in the hills, murder people, and then like put and like spread like splay. I mean like and like like write in pig's blood like slang that black people used to like you know uh, like use against the cops. Man. And then on top of that, so what you're it, saying is white people ruin everything. <laughs> fuck yeah! I mean like <laughs> again the year before that, 1968, it was the Watts riots. It's like you could have like, taken. You could have taken. Well, like, like, what I'm saying is saying. that you could have taken the flower power energy to make like actual effects, but no. Instead, the fact that you were interjecting your own anxiety about what was going on with anxiety, uh, what was going on with society at the time, it just completely ruined the hippie like, movement. Again, like again, like you kind of understand what, what like. Like again, like this was like again, like I think when, when was rather uh, no 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 the watch ride was something else. It was like it was it was like another uh-huh. thing involving with the cop. And again, it was like because like the whole neighborhood I, lit up. Like I would say, I, I would yeah. say the bigger thing, and we'll move on to a much more yeah. frivolous thing, is that I I would say somebody like Tarantino is maybe not the person you should be looking at to have. A thorough introspect retrospective about no, what but, was going on with those certain elements with like Charles Manson with the industry. Yeah. I would say a guy that has a certain affinity with a certain word may not be the guy that has the nuance to be yeah. able to address these issues especially in a film where he's just trying to comment on this transitional period it's with old hollywood to new hollywood with this juxtaposition with sharon tate and the manson family yeah yeah well well, like i said like like so like all these hot takes is like people are getting mad at tarantino like which like again like credit to him like he's still like you know like he was like he was fine with his vision and he kept you know like 
like he wasn't compromised or anything with with the film. It's just that you know, it's like you know, it's like you're not gonna like you're right. You're not gonna get that. You're not gonna get anything out of him. But it's like you know, all these fucking articles talking about it, you know, it, it's not. It's not the. It's not the film to end all films about 1969 America. And to me, I appreciate the film for just almost being like a more human film where it's like at the end of the day, we're just following people being people in a weird way, even with as like rich of an environment and setting. I mean, yeah, I get, you know, I get the whole thing with Bruce Lee and then like the, the line, like, don't cry in front of the Mexicans. (laughs) <laughs> well, like, I laugh like again. It's like me and the whole theater laugh at that at that line. But it's like it's like they're they're fucking like what like what do you expect? They're, they're laborers and it's like, they're trying to it's do like, what they need to do. You, it's like you know, like John Wayne was. It's like he believed in white supremacy, and he said that in a Playboy article. Oh no! It, with it's Cliff, like, no, with Cliff's uh, Cliff's line, I just kind of <laughs> took it at like where it's like, man, don't cry in front of these people doing a day job, man. Just like keep your composure. No, I I think I think it's like again, it's it's like, keep your composure, man. It's, I know it's keep your composure, but it's like it's like come on, it's like like. It's like he could have easily like again if you want to say keep your composure you could have said that but it's like don't cry for the Mexicans it's like it's like like I mean if I if I was one of the chauffeurs I'd be snickering too where it's like is that that guy from that show why is he crying oh, they don't. why is he crying so I think again he's, he's been a has been he's from like, he, law. why is he crying. <laughs> Like, why you cry? He's like again, Bouncer Law. Like any of what? Like three, like two years before, like before the movie takes place. In this whole like quintet, and like what's also funny is is um, because like because like, the performance was so convincing, I thought like, are these people real? <laughs> it's like again, it was just one of those things where it's like it was very convinced. Like again, the performance was very. Like was well done, and it's like it was like fucking convinced. Reg, are you suggesting that they just did like an impromptu guerrilla style filming <laughs> where like they literally had the valet drivers at Maso and Frank Grill? No, no, no. That, no. that they just had them in the background, and they were just like, just like don't don't break character in front of these like actual guys that work at this historical restaurant. I gotta say, I, I gotta say. um uh, that uh, that restaurant still looks exactly like that. So um, it, it's used yeah. a lot in film. And with that said, let's move on <laughs> to Hobbs and Shaw, which will not be as enthralling of a cinematic <laughs> history, film history, cultural something or another. So, Reg, I will leave the platform to you. What did you think of Hobbs and Shaw? Uh, it could have been more stupid. <laughs> like... I mean, like, I enjoy for what it is, but, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm getting old, but, but, like, the fact where, where, like, there was, like, like a huge car chase scene in, in the second act, it just dragged on so long. And it's like, we haven't got to Samoa where in the trailers, they, they, they promoted, like, this gigantic fight with The Rock and his, like, brothers against, you know, <laughs> against Idris Elba and, like, his That was Benjamin Bratt, right? That was Benjamin Bratt, right? I, the brother. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that was Benjamin Bratt. Pretty sure. 
Pretty sure. I mean, I can... There's a lot of weird cameos in this one, too. So. Yeah, like, you want to spoil the cameos? Or... Okay, okay. It's not for the cameos since they seem to actually be, like, setting them up as, like, significant characters in this world, but here's what I'll say. I think, like, a lot of the cameos, I mean, like, what I find funny about the cameos, they're kind of commentating on the plot. Especially the one in the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like how ridiculous it is. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Reggie, I don't want you to feel... I don't want you to feel old. I don't want you to feel old. Because it's still okay to enjoy ridiculous action scenes. I do, re- I do re- enjoy like the ridiculous here's, movies. He, here's but, the core thing about it. I, I enjoyed Hobbs and Shaw well enough for what it is. But... I shouldn't have read this article ahead of time. Okay, so the Wall Street Journal. Oh, Jesus, dude. The Wall Street Journal uh, came out with an article ahead of the movie release where oh, they went into like more of the behind the scenes stuff about the Fast and Furious franchise. And what it turns out is that almost all of the lead actors have like almost like Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit levels. Of contractual obligations. Yeah, I, I, in, I'm, famili- I'm familiar with like bits and pieces right, of it. So, go ahead. So, for people that don't know, okay, so in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, just there's a lot of elements in like the actual rights and presentation of the characters in that movie to the point where Bucks, the agreement that Warner Brothers and Disney had to do for those two characters in the movie is that they had an agreement where. Each of those characters have to be on the screen for the exact same amount of time. Mm-hmm. They have to have this same amount of lines. They both have to say their catchphrases or their yeah. like notable, you know, Mickey Mouse, of course, had to have his famous laugh. Bugs mm-hmm. Bunny, of course, had to say, eh, what's up, Doc? You know, so if you notice that it's kind of like weird that both of those characters have to literally be on the screen at the same time. They literally had to put that in the contract. But again, they still made it work in context of the movie. They still made it work in context, but just so people know, they had to do, like, months negotiations for that kind of thing. Now, in the Wall Street Journal article for Fast and Furious, (laughs) Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, and Vin (laughs) Diesel had so many obligations where it's two things. One... They could. They always had to be as tough as possible in their scenes. Oh, Jesus. and two, they could never look weak. So, for example, <laughs> Jason Statham. Any of the scenes that Jason Statham is in in Fast and Furious, he would literally go to the editing bay. Like after they would have the dailies, he would go in the editing oh, bay wow. to pick the scenes that made him look as cool as possible. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. Whenever Dwayne Johnson was in a fight or whatever. He could never actually, like, be on his back or anything. In fact, in, like, Fast Five, like, the scene between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson, originally it was it was in the script that, you know, his character Hobbs is on the ground, but Dwayne Johnson went to the director and said, we need to reshoot that scene, so I'm at least still, like, sitting, but on the ground. Like, I can't be on my back looking like I'm beat up. And this is the most ridiculous one, Reg. Vin Diesel would have his sister on set to count how many punches would land on Vin Diesel. In fact, they even tried to incorporate an element into the film 
into the actual choreography where it's like Vin Diesel would always land more punches than the amount of punches that would land on him. It ended up being, of course, impractical at a certain point, but it, it, it's just that when you see that these guys are spending so much time trying to make themselves look as tough and badass but and that's and what makes it fucking and, funny. It's like, like... It makes it funny, but the biggest thing that I've thought about is that Ridiculous scenes, right? We just had like a ridiculous action film with John Wick Chapter 3, where it's like that film has ridiculous action scenes. John Wick is, of course, you know, Baba Yaga, this like force of nature kind of guy. But the compelling thing to me compared to something like Hobbs and Shaw was Mm. something like John Wick. And I think it's the reason why people are so drawn to something like John Wick or with other kind of characters in the past is that. He gets hurt. He gets messed up. Yep. You know, he'll get beat up. He'll get thrown off a building. He'll get but hit by again, a car. I, he'll be messed up. And it's it's almost like basic understanding of cinematic storytelling where it's like when you but, see somebody get messed up, but then they're able to pick themselves back up and mess somebody up. It's so much more compelling than when you end up with these like perfect he-men that are just See, like he minning and super duding somebody I will, out. I will like I will have to I reject your hypothesis, my good friend. How so? <laughs> because as a children of the nineties, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger, we had Steve Sylvester Stallone. And like again, we grew up watching these movies where they take it seriously. And like even even when you watch those movies to get uh, today and you still laugh at it, it's still inter- like I still find those movies entertaining. I got but, two words for you. I got two words for okay. you. Die Hard. Die Hard, remember, was able to stand yeah. out in the late eighties, early nineties, because you're you're absolutely right. During that era and the movie that I was thinking of the most that Hobson Shaw should have been was something like Commando, it's like, something like Cobra, like, and, I feel like Ho- and I feel like Hobson Shaw should have been more like that. Like I feel like I feel like it was still trying to do like, oh, we got to develop the character, we still got to make or, it about family, yeah, as opposed to like, something like Commando, where it's just like, like Commando was pure s- cocaine ridiculousness. Again, well, the thing is, Commando was was fucking simple. You took on a Schwarzenegger's daughter, he's going to come after you. He's going to rescue Alyssa Milano. And do fucking catchphrases along the (laughs) way. Just simple, straightforward. It's It's like, like, I don't need this character development (laughs) shit. It's like, you know what you are. You need to commit to it. But but I I bring up the Die Hard example because that's how John McClane was able to stand out in that era of like these like perfect He-Man, you know, giant muscular kind of dudes. Is that at the end of the day, John McClane was just this like divorced guy you know single dad just like caught up in a ridiculous situation he's not like you know super impervious he's still able to do cool ass shit but the fact that like he gets hurt he gets messed up he gets bloodied up he gets a broken nose you know like like the big thing that I was thinking with Hobson Shaw is that there's never a moment with Dwayne Johnson where it's like he's going they're going up against like the black Superman. They're going up yeah. against Idris Alba. If there was a moment where, like, Idris Alba, like, straight up broke 
The Rock's arm? That would be like a they already holy did it fast seven. Well, they should have done it again. <laughs> he like he was in Fast Seven. He he landed. On, he saved somebody. Landed on his back on a car after the after he survived an explosion. Was in the hospital throughout the whole entire movie. And then when he see his buddies in trouble in downtown L.A., he hulked out of his cast. Managed to get to downtown. Grab a minigun that was fu- that that fall that fell off a uh, off a helicopter and started firing at the drone. So what you're saying is that even within the franchise, they forgot that rule of thumb <laughs> where it's like or or DC Comics, right? DC Comics yeah. does this shit a lot where it's yeah. like if you need to like really establish how like crazy powerful this villain is, you send in Superman first. Superman gets fucked up. And then all the other characters are like, oh, shit, we need to figure out something. And then, of course, Superman comes back at the end of it. But it, it's a trope they've been I doing mean, for 60 years. I mean, like, they so. could have, like, well, I mean, like, if, if if people at DC were smart enough, they could have done, they, they should have, what, they should have used Doomsday for like, either the second or the third Justice League oh, movie. Oh, man, don't get. Where uh, Doomsday kicks everyone's ass and only Superman can save them. As opposed to what they did in the actual movie, yes. where the plot is, we're going to raise dead Superman from the dead because we have yep. no other options, which yep. is an insurmountably more <laughs> and then he And he takes out, out Steppenwolf with no problem. It's like, wow, guys. <laughs> wow, this Justice League kind of sucks without Superman. Thank you. Thank you for establishing well, this. Movie. Again, they ruined this. The Infinity Crisis may just like erase everything. <laughs> yeah, we it's just like, have to. The CW have... is going to save the DC universe. Hey, I, I, lo- I love how I love how ridiculous the cameos are going to be for that crisis on Infinity Earth. So, anywho, yeah. moving on from what? that. I mean, like again, well, or is there any final words that you can have for Hobbs and Shaw? <laughs> I mean, like even when you mentioned about Die Hard, it's like I kind of, I don't know. It's like I grew up watching, you know, like Face Off, The Rock, you know, like The Rock, Con Air. It's like all these ridiculous movies, and it's like even with Arnold Schwarzenegger, even he evolved. It's like you had the Eraser, you had True Lies. Well, well, you had a dip. Right. You had the yeah. Schwarzenegger Stallone films. Yeah. Then you had a brief period where everybody was trying to do a Die Hard. Right. Yeah. And then you upticked to the ridiculous mid 90s stuff. Like John Woo stuff. Yeah. Like Michael Bay stuff. And, you know, like we could do a whole thing about the but, history but, of action movies. But, 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 but an interesting been... point with something like The Rock is that if Die Hard didn't happen, Something like The Rock would have had to have starred like a muscular dude. Yeah. It took something like Die Hard where you could have somebody like, you know, a balding John McClane yeah. to be able to have somebody like a Nicolas Cage or John Travolta to be in an action film in the first place. You know, as opposed to these like, you know, yeah. almost like action figure kind of people I don't know. It's like it, I just—it's. Like, I find it more compelling when it's somebody that like seems like can like, step up to do these amazing feats, but also look like they can get their ass kicked. So when they're able to beat the bad guy, it's that much more cooler. Well, again, again, like for you, like for you, 
and maybe that might work. But for me, it's like I knew what the movie like was like. I know what it was. It's like in Fast Eight, I was like, I was, I found it hilarious that they were like trying to like you know like doing a dick measuring contest when they were like confined in a like in this high tech jail, like you know like doing all the push ups and like benching like. Like ripping the uh, bitches off the uh, jail wall it's and like, so but that's so broy, dude. That's so broy. But again, it's, it's, like, it's like, but they taking it seriously. That's, I mean, like, that's my problem. It, it, it's like you stuck with this movie where it's like we want to be family, but what makes it funny is like you have Vin Diesel being serious and like Hobbs and Shaw. Like takes takes that like takes that stupidity to the nth degree. I mean, in Fast Eight, he was like, you had Hobbs in an airplane shooting off assassins while like carrying a baby in a in a bat in like in a in a car uh, car thing. Yeah, and then like and then jump off the plane with the baby. It's like, well, it's like that's what I'm saying. It's like you gotta be that stupid. But it's like if you're not gonna have like Vin Diesel or somebody that's gonna be super serious. It's like, like it just like again, like the banter is funny, but it's like you like to make it to make it entertaining for me. You gotta play it straight, and I think that that or or go so ridiculous to the point of parody. Yeah, you gotta go to the point of. It's I mean, like, like if I mean like the la- like if your last movie you have you if you parachuting out with a baby in in tow. And then you have somebody pushing a torpedo into another car and fighting and like have eight cars racing against a submarine under like ice, like ice, you know, glaze here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying it's like the Chernobyl, like the Chernobyl, like, 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 like escaping from the Chernobyl looking plant was like kind of like kind of basic. You got you got to commit <laughs> is the whole thing. It's like, okay, you're playing this as straight as possible, so we almost have, like, an ironic kind of ridiculous to us, or do you just go full fucking parody with it? And I, I feel like Hobson Shaw still wanted to try to play it straight-ish, even with yeah. its little elements, and I feel like that's kind of, like, my main issue with the flick. It's I mean, like, like the movie you should have gone lit. one way or another. Like... Uh, like that movie was just limping along. I mean, like honestly, like again, and like and even and even the fast um, fast movies, like people pointing out like all the ridiculous lines that uh, that they said. Like in Fast Seven, it was like um, like like Hobbs was like in, like again in the cast. It's like you got to beat him so hard that he would never come back. Again. Like I forgot the stupid line, but it's like you can throw like the fucking. Um, Intro to uh, CSI after after each of their li- like each of their line reading. Yeah, yeah. So again, like fun stuff at the movie theater. So you know what? Um, at, at the time that we're at, we're gonna do something special just because, like in my personal life, we have a lot of amazing stuff coming up. So um, we're gonna end this episode. Just as our delightful, you know, recap about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, Hobson Shaw. So thank you so much for listening. Um, all right. We're, we're, we're going to pace up. We're pacing out our episodes, Reg. Okay. We're, we're pacing right, out right, our episodes. All right. So. It's like, I just like. Is there, like, it, it, this, is there like, anything this. you want to say that's going to sound you terrible no, in no, the no, next no, no, two no. weeks? No, 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 no. I'm just asking because like you did like. 
like when we were talking about it, once upon a time in Hollywood, you mentioned that, you know, your family's coming into town and they want to see Hollywood. So if you're going to give them the grand tour of Hollywood, where what would you do? Um, I'm going to bring them to that... I'm going to bring them to that weird strip club that has that one, the ugliest girls in Hollywood. The one that has I that mean, like weird... How many are we talking about? It's the sign, Rich. You've seen that sign where it's like that inexplicable what? sign that's like right there in Hollywood Boulevard where it's like, we got the ugliest girls on the strip. And it's yeah. like, I've always wondered... Over by Hollywood what? and Vine? No, the, the, yeah, yeah. Deja, the deja Vu? So, not deja vu. No, no. Because when I go to that ramen joint next door, um, like I worked over at Mammal, which is like around Hollywood and Vine. And yeah. like, there was like, yeah, this deja vu. And then we usually pass that to go to the uh, ramen joint, which is like next door I to the say, uh, science, say, science You know what? I think it is deja vu where it has that inexplicable sign where it's trying to advertise the fact that it has the ugliest girls in Hollywood. So, wow. you know what? Just, so, so, again, like with the ugliest girls in Hollywood, I mean, like what standards are we talking about? Because, I have no idea. Because just it's like, they, it's like they you, put that on the sign, Reg, for like I'm years, and I have to almost wonder why. It's the same thing when you're driving on like <laughs> I-10, and it's like you see the sign for the thing. Yeah. Right. When you're driving on I-10, you'll always see that sign for the thing. And like uh, going east or west. Like in Arizona, it's like in Yuma, Arizona. Oh, okay. You see these signs. Going out like 200, 300 miles yeah, yeah, out yeah, saying yeah, yeah. the thing. See, the thing. And it, it's one of those things where it's like you don't want to be disappointed by what you see, but you're still perpetually curious about what it actually is. See, I think I think it's uh, like because you're thinking of like, you know, Ratchet, like where where they got like Caesarian, like Caesarian scars and like 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 in the stretch marks. I'm thinking that like when they consider Hollywood ugly is – they weren't pretty enough for either. They either they like they were they're hot enough to be in the strip club, but they're not hot enough for like being a model or or a porn actress. And you know what? I'm gonna loop it back around to Hobson Shaw because <laughs> if it was an actual joint that actually had like the super ratchet, Caesarian scarred kind of women, oh, I would almost Christ. be I would almost be impressed that they actually committed to that. Where it's like. Oh wow! You actually got like the ugliest strippers in town. That's a, that's actually pretty commendable. Almost, you kept with the tagline. I got so, my money's so, worth. So now thank I remember, you. And then like all these subs- and then all our subscribers are gonna say, "You a bunch of sexist motherfuckers." Like, um, the the skies are beautiful. Stretch marks are beautiful. No, 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 no. I'm saying it's like. Uh, it's like, well, I mean, like, no, have you, have you, you seen the skeevy Reg, guys at the strip club? Reg, you were being the one where it's like the minor, like, still like eight or nines of the world where <laughs> you're trying to say like, oh, they're considered the quote unquote ugliest. I'm saying like, you need to go straight up. Like, I'm, 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 I'm talking, I'm talking those kind of women. It's like, if you just fill like, your joint out with those kind of women, it's like, you know what? More power to you and wow. more power to them. You know, like if it ended up being like an ironic, like empowerment kind of thing. Oh, empowerment, like having a down stripper, like a stripper with down syndrome. More fucking power to it, dude. More power to it. (laughs) So with that said. Oh, Jesus Christ. We are so terrible. We would recommend Once Upon a Time in Hollywood (laughs) and Hobson Shaw. Maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if you can, like, like sneak, in, sneak into a theater or, or pay student prices, but not uh, if you know which theater to go to for the student prices. It's what I would designate as a fun TNT flick. It's like if you just happen to see it on TNT or something like that or whatever kind yeah. of future thing, which is going to be a big thing with the next episode. If you just catch it on there, it's fine. It's fine. So, anywho, thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, of course, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, SoundCloud. Uh, please forgive the uh, air condition that's happening in the background for the past couple of episodes. Um, there is no central AC. man. There is no central AC. We need it on. Please forgive us. So, what's that? Right, no, they understand. They can feel the heat coming from the mic. Well, we may have people, Reg, that actually come from states that have central AC and insular insulation in the walls. So, more power to you guys, you lucky bastards. Uh-huh. This is your co-host, Robert, signing off. And this is Reggie. Good night, folks. Good night.